Well, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the message this morning. Uh, there needs to be a story, and you have given us a story with a turn and with implications in it, um, our salvation story. Uh, it's one that is different for each one of us. We might not be able to connect with everyone, but there are certain people that you have or will bring into our lives that we can be particularly sensitive to sharing your story in our lives. Uh, we love you and thank you for doing that good work in us. We pray for lots of loved ones who not only need to hear the gospel, but your spirit to be present and to uh, awaken them to their need and to the marvelous provision that the Lord Jesus has made and done for us. Uh, thank you for the stories that we saw in the video. I just, I loved that. That continues to set my heart right for Christmas. I pray uh, that your spirit would be present with us this evening. Teach everyone tonight um, as you will. Apply to everyone tonight as you will. Uh, there's plenty of great material here. Uh, would you uh, do your good, unique work tonight in each one of us? And we pray for it, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you are reading your Hebrew Bible, Samuel is all one book. We broke it up into First and Second Samuel. Kings is all one book. We broke it up into First and Second Kings. Okay? So if I ever refer to the book of Kings, it's First and Second Kings together. It's just one big long book. We break, we break it up, especially in our Protestant Bibles, into First and Second Kings. So we're going to start First Kings, which is really Kings. We're starting that tonight, and this is a great place to take a break after this because David is going to hand the kingdom over to Solomon. And so we're going to wrap up David tonight, and then when we come back in January, we'll continue on with Solomon. Okay? So, here we go. This is, I think in your notes, uh, a little timeline of the United Kingdom. So here was Samuel, the last judge. Here's Saul, the first king. Here's Ishbosheth, and we took a quick look at him. David. And here's Solomon. Solomon is the last, eh, you know, you could argue that Rehoboam is the last king of the United Kingdom, but it's not very long that he's the king. <laughs> Uh, Solomon, these three, Saul, David, Solomon, when you, when you think of the United Kingdom, not the one across the sea, but the United Kingdom, Old Testament-wise, you think of those three kings, and then it divides into Israel and Judah. And so tonight, 1 Kings, uh, the word I've put on kings, the word I put on, on Samuel, First and Second Samuel, was monarchy, because that's what we're talking about, establishing the monarchy. In Kings, really the big point of Kings is, after we finish Solomon, is division. A horrible story, but it's division. So we haven't got to division. We're going to the top of the mountain today with Solomon. We're climbing up there, and then the next few weeks we'll look at Solomon's rule and reign. So let's talk about the basics of Kings. We don't know who wrote it. There are scholars who think it could have been Jeremiah. Hmm. 
That would be interesting. Well, why do they think that? Um, because the last event recorded is the release of Jehoiachin. And he will be on the final. You'll have to spell it. His release happens right before um, Judah, Israel, comes back. Well, that was such a humongous event that if that would have happened, then someone would have written in Kings about it. So it seems like it has to be written kind of right before that event, which is roughly 560 to 538 B.C. Well, this is the same time frame as Jeremiah. So it's possible that Jeremiah wrote this. And part of the reason, if he wrote it, would be an explanation of how did we get here. Remember we had the other how did we get here from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How did we get here to this place across, across the Jordan River from the Promised Land? How did we get here? Well, there's another story that someone has to tell, perhaps Jeremiah. How, how did we get, how did things wind up this way? <laughs> what happened? And so Jeremiah may be compiling and telling that story. It's a possibility. Where was it written? Mm. Again, we don't know. If you know, please write a paper. I'd love to read it, and we'll turn it into the scholarly journals. Uh, it is unknown where it was written. Why, this is one of my profs uh, at the seminary, he says, First and Second Kings reveal God's faithfulness to his word, his ultimate sovereignty over his own, and all other people's, and his patience. These books also testify to the unbelief and disobedience of all people, even the beneficiaries of God's election and blessing. These books demonstrate that God has not cast off his disobedient people, Israel, whom he chose to enjoy a privileged relationship with himself. I thought that was a great summary of what's going on in Kings, First and Second Kings, Kings. God is showing his faithfulness in spite of his people's lack of faithfulness. That's what Kings pretty much is about. So let's dive in. We're only going to cover two chapters tonight, so we'll read a little bit and we'll talk about that um, with the slides. First Kings 1 1 seems like a good place to start, and we'll go through chapter 2, verse 12. I'm not going to read everything. Uh, but King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. Kind of sounds like my house. I don't know. So his advisors told him, let us find a young virgin to wait on you and look after you, my Lord. She will lie in your arms and keep you warm. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. Okay, what a weird opening. <laughs> There's another minor theme through the Old Testament about fertility. 
Guess who doesn't have any anymore? <laughs> David. David is 70. And how did they know someone was really about to die if it was a guy? You're going, what? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Let's find a beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. There's no hope for this guy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You don't have a lot of MRIs or modern medicine. <laughs> you want to know? We got a foolproof test. <laughs> so they run the test. He's going to die. <laughs> About that time, David's son, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting. I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now, where have we heard that before? Absalom. Now, his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. Only problem, no discipline and no boundaries ever given to Adonijah. So Adonijah takes Joab. Gosh, Joab keeps showing up. Joab and Abiathar takes them into his confidence. They agree to help him become king. Today we would call that a coup. But Zadok, Beniah, Nathan, Shimei, Ray, and David's personal bodyguard refuse to support Adonijah. So Adonijah goes off to a place, they begin sacrificing, he invites all of his brothers, uh, but he didn't invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the king's bodyguard. Or Solomon. Then Nathan went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and asked her, Haven't you heard that Haggith's son, Adonijah, has made himself king and our Lord David doesn't even know about it? If you want to save your own life and life of your son, Solomon, follow my advice. And so he tells her what to do. Go in and tell David, you know, the, the, how things are, what's happening, and then I'll come in and confirm it. Because it's only based on the testimony of two to three witnesses, something would be established as true. So their first witness and second witness are going to go in to see David. Okay. So Bathsheba goes in. Uh, Bathsheba bowed down before the king. You know, I've, I, I, it's very simple. I've asked Laurie to do that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I haven't asked her that. What can I do for you? He asked her. She replied, My Lord, you made a vow before the Lord your God when you said to me, Your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. But instead, Adonijah has made himself king, and my Lord the king doesn't even know about it. Uh, he sacrificed a lot. All Israel is waiting for you to announce. Um, By the way, Solomon and I are going to be treated as criminals as soon as the king has died. While she's still speaking, Nathan comes in and says, Basically the same thing. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has my, verse 27. Has my lord the king really done this without letting any of his officials know who should be the next king? 
Well, <laughs> come on, David. King David responded, call Bathsheba. So she came back in and stood before the king, and the king repeated his vow, repeated his vow. As surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. So Bathsheba is um, thankful. King David calls Zadok and Nathan and Benaiah. Uh, he says, take Solomon and my officials, ride down to Gihon Springs. Solomon is to ride on my own mule. There Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. He will succeed me as king, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And may the Lord be with Solomon as he's been with you, my lord the king, and may he make Solomon's reign even greater than yours. So there, when they finally get to the place, Zadok takes the flask of oil from the sacred tent and anoints Solomon with the oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! Uh, they're playing flutes. They're shouting for joy. Uh, the celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. <laughs> Here's Adonijah having his little dinner party. <laughs> earth is shaking. Uh, they just finished. Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn. He said, what's going on? Why is the city in such an uproar? And while he's still speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Come in, Adonijah said to him, for you are a good man. You must have good news. Not at all, <laughs> Jonathan replied. Our Lord, King David, has just declared Solomon king. And the king has sent him down to make it official. Verse 49, then all of Adonijah's guests jumped up in panic from the banquet table and quickly scattered because now they're guilty of treason. Uh, so Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he rushed to the sacred tent and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. Word soon reached Solomon that Adonijah had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading. Let King Solomon swear today that he will not kill me. Solomon replied, if he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he will die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah, and they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon, who dismissed him, saying, go on home. So then the time... Time is coming for, for David to die. We'll, we'll do a little more in chapter 2 in just a minute here. So David has prepared the nation for Solomon and has collected everything for the temple's construction. We looked at that last week. He's now around 70 and will likely pass on within about six months. But right now there's a crisis in the kingdom because Adonijah, not Solomon, has made himself king point for tonight. If you remember nothing else, please remember this. It's not wise to make yourself king. It's not wise. Here's the throne. Who's supposed to be sitting in it? Solomon. Solomon's supposed to be sitting in it. Who decides they're going to sit here? Adonijah. 
I'm going to make myself king. Let's see how that works out for Adonijah. <laughs> Didn't work out so well for Absalom? Let's see if it works out for Adonijah. Answer, no. It's not wise to make yourself king. So the first few verses, David is dying. He's about 70. It's about 970. He's frail and vulnerable. His life is ebbing away. And so Abishag is brought in, a beautiful young virgin from Shunem, brought in for medicinal or nursing purposes. She became David's concubine, basically. But because the king had no sexual relations with her, <laughs> David is beyond help. He will not recover. He's going to die. They're sure of this now. So Adonijah, we're introduced to Adonijah in the next verse, in verse 6. He's handsome, undisciplined, spoiled, self-serving, and selfishly ambitious. He can't even wait for his father to die before he seeks to grab the throne. David's frailty is Adonijah's opportunity. And perhaps he thinks he'll succeed where his half-brother failed because of David's weakness. So Adonijah, in 5 through 10, declares himself king. He's number four. We're missing one. We've got uh, Amnon, whom Absalom killed. We have Absalom that Joab and some guys took care of. And then we've got Adonijah. We're missing one. Perhaps died in childbirth, perhaps died as a younger person, but Adonijah is number four. We're missing one of the sons. We don't know why. We're, just, we're missing one. He's the oldest living son of David. He declares himself king, rebelling against his father's earlier declaration. And you say, I've been reading along, and I haven't seen any declaration. And so flip to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Maybe some of you are doing electronically. I don't hear any pages turning. Oh, did you think that was rhetorical? 1 Chronicles 22 verse 9. God speaking. Uh, speaking to David. But you will have a son. Now he's telling him this. Let me back up to verse 6. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet, or Jedediah, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. This Chronicles account, there was more in the second Samuel seven. Remember when um, David wanted to build God a house? 
And God says, you're not going to build my house, but I love the thought, so I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty of kings. At that time, he also evidently communicated to David that Solomon was to be the next king. So way back then, David knew it was Solomon, and he's evidently already told Bathsheba and perhaps even Solomon because it says that he, in chapter 1, verse 29, and the king repeated his vow. So he did not make a vow. He repeated the earlier vow that he had already taken after he had heard who the next king was from the Lord. So Adonijah declares himself king, probably heard that Solomon would be the next king, and so he is rebelling against his father's earlier mm, vow, edict. He takes what he wants or thinks he deserves. He has everything, everything except God's appointment, anointing, and blessing. And by grabbing the throne, he creates a crisis. Next few verses, David is going to declare, which we've already read, David is going to declare Solomon to be the king. So Nathan gets involved promptly, and through Bathsheba, uh, prompts David to act. So David acts, makes, reiterates the declaration. He reiterates God's will and word regarding his successor, who is Solomon. And David charges his loyal men to carry out Solomon's formal coronation immediately. Solomon becomes David's co-regent that day. What that means basically is there, there are two kings, but one is basically um, a lame duck, and the other is taking over. So, in effect, there's, there's, there's only one king, but they're reigning as co-regents. When we go through the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, you're going to see a lot of co-regency which can make the timeline very confusing. We'll try, to, we'll try to pull all those strands of spaghetti apart for you. But co-regency is, so if my son were going to be the next ruler, he and I might rule together for a year or two. Basically, it's training wheels on him so that he becomes a good king, hopefully. So he becomes, Solomon becomes David's co-regent that day, and David is not going to live very long anyway. So Solomon, we find out a little bit about Solomon at the end of chapter 1. We find out that Adonijah's scheme is exposed, and he and his co-conspirators are now guilty of treason. Rightly, Adonijah should die, but he runs to God's altar for asylum. Like David, Solomon is merciful, conditioned on the evidence of Adonijah's future loyalty to him as king. And he lays it out for him. You're loyal to me, you'll live. You're not, you're going to die. So Solomon mercifully allows him to keep his life conditioned on his loyalty to Solomon as king. Now, to chapter 2. 
As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there's something else. You know what Joab did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner and Amasa. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace. Not only that, but remember, Joab oversaw the killing of Absalom. It was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Be kind to the sons of Barzillai. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Bahurim and Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him, but that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. <laughs> David. <laughs> then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of, his, of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. So Solomon is now king over Israel. David charges Solomon to pursue God first, and to protect the kingdom second. And then he gives them some final instructions. Take care of Joab for two unpunished, could say three, but at least two unpunished murders. Be kind to Barzillai, who cared for David's needs, and take care of Shimei, a rebellious troublemaker. Take care of him. David dies. And Solomon secures the throne. Lots of interesting stuff with David's last charge to Solomon and lots of different opinions on is David being very merciful? Um, if he was, then why did he tell Solomon to kill him? <laughs> is it David's unfinished business that he's not taken care of? And so now he's asking his successor to take care of it? don't know. But Solomon understands what he's supposed to do, and Solomon goes and takes care of it. So David dies, and Solomon secures the throne. Let 
many of you are familiar with um, Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, etc., etc., etc. Kind of goes on from there. The butler did it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Charles, okay. This is not a tale of two cities. This is a tale of two kings. Adonijah took over when he heard of David's vulnerability and weakness. He suspected David was unwilling or unable to stop him. Why would he think any differently? David had never disciplined him one day of his whole entire life. Why would he start now? He saw the future he wanted or thought he deserved and took matters into his own hands to get it. But in making himself king, Adonijah only brought crisis and turmoil to the kingdom, not peace. And what did the Lord say would accompany his king. Solomon was God's appointed and anointed king, and he used his wisdom, authority, and power to bring peace. That's what Solomon did. Adonijah brought crisis, turmoil, trouble, all kinds of bad and nasty things. That's what Adonijah brought. So there's a tale of two kings here in the, in the first, little more than first chapter. And so I'm back to the beginning, it's not wise to make yourself king. It didn't work out for Absalom. It didn't work out, well, I'll tell you, it won't work out for Adonijah. Adonijah um, is going to meet his end. Um, and as I reflected on this lesson, I was reminded uh, that I do this every day. You've seen the picture. Some people, I can't remember who did it, but somebody's come up with the idea of a heart with a, you know, a throne in the heart. And when the Lord found me and saved me, who went on the throne? Who did I turn over the throne of my heart to? The Lord Jesus. What do I do every morning? Excuse me, Lord. feels comfortable, feels good. This is where I'm supposed to be, right here, right on the throne. Meanwhile, the greater Solomon, who I've just (laughs) deposed, is going to say to me, Bill, it's not wise to make yourself king. You are like Adonijah, And I am like Solomon. And if you're going to run things, it's not going to work out well. Your choice. You're right, Lord. This is rightfully your place. Welcome again. Please, have the throne. My life is a tale of two kings. I started asking myself, when do I or when do we become like Adonijah and take over running our lives from Jesus the king? We asked him to come be the king. 
We invited him. He deserves it. This is his rightful place. You agreed to it, and so did I. And we meant it. When do I tend to bump him off the throne? Usually in times of my own vulnerability or weakness. Reminds me of the person we talked about before who said, I know, you know, I know what's right, but I just want to be happy. How about in times of uncertainty and waiting? How about in times when it seems God is unwilling to do anything about our situation? How about in times when we just want what we want and we want it now? Not later. Now. Or through just plain independent living. The Lord is there for the big things. But my nine to five, Monday through Sunday, I got it, Lord. I'll let you know when I get in a jam. My life is a tale of two kings. We may become like Adonijah in our areas of vulnerability and weakness. Wrongs we've done or wrongs done to us. When I feel particularly vulnerable or weak, I'm going to sit on the throne. I'm going to drive. I can become like Adonijah and take over when I feel the need to protect myself. Problem is, in trying to gain peace, I only bring myself more unrest, sadness, or anger, or more messes to clean up later. Only the greater Solomon can bring peace through forgiveness. If I've hurt somebody and haven't sought forgiveness, I can, have, I can become Adonijah. If I've been hurt and want to protect myself, I can become like Adonijah because I will never allow that to happen to me again. You understand what I'm saying? We need to go to the greater Solomon, the Lord Jesus, who can and will bring peace through forgiveness. Someone told me this. I don't know where um, he got this saying. Um, It's not mine originally. He said, unforgiveness is the acid that first destroys the bottle in which it resides. So is there someone that you need to forgive tonight? Is God putting anyone on your mind, anyone on your heart, someone you need to forgive? It's a time when at least I can become like Adonijah. We may become like Adonijah in areas where we have unfulfilled dreams, desires, plans, or expectations for the future, and they haven't come to pass yet. And frankly, love, joy, peace, patience, 
thank you very much. No, I don't care for patience. I don't want to be patient. I want it now. I can become like Adonijah in areas where I have an unfulfilled dream, plan, expectation for the future. If it's not being realized, I'm tempted to jump on the throne again. I can become like Adonijah and take over when I want to guide myself to my destination. Not sure if the Lord is really looking. He's got a lot of people to watch over. I'm not sure you're paying attention to my life, Lord. Um, I, you might have missed, I was supposed to turn there. <laughs> hmm? I'll go ahead and take the next exit and turn that way. You, you missed it, but you're busy. you got like a billion people. I'll help you out here. I'll take the turn for you. And I begin to guide myself. Problem. I only bring myself more unrest and trouble and no contentment. Only the greater Solomon, the Lord Jesus, can bring contentment and fulfillment. The last one is about who do you need to forgive? This one is about what plan or desire do you need to release to the Lord tonight? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a desire for a relationship. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's some other situation or circumstance. Something you are trying to guide the Lord to do. What might you need to release tonight to the throne sitter? Cast all your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. What, what do you need to do? You need to get off the throne, you need to give it back to him, and you need to turn it over to him. I may become like Adonijah when I just live an independent life. I talked to a fellow today, and he's, my goodness, I don't know how he does everything. I mean, he's so busy. He must be working 80 hours a week. I mean, it's, just cr it's crazy numbers. And I said, what's giving? I mean, something's got to give. You know, I'm going to assume you're sleeping enough <laughs> to, to be able to stay awake. Um... He's got an hour commute each way. He's working like a... He's very energetic, and he's working a lot. I said, what, what's giving? And he said, well, like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I know if I'll go two or three days, and, you know, whatever is so busy for me that I've not gotten to a good quiet time, I'm missing my quiet time, I'm missing my connection with the Lord. And he said... Oh, oh, that. <laughs> Good young man. But he means to get to it. He just doesn't get to it. So what's getting squeezed out? 
his time with the Lord? Is he living an independent life? It's, it's not for me to say, but it kind of looks like it. I, I can be that guy easily. If you can be that guy or that gal, this is an independent life. When, like Adonijah, we think we're fine without God's king on the throne. I'm fine being on the throne. I got no problem whatsoever. I don't care if God's king isn't on the throne. Things are looking good for me. When we can go days without thinking of him, being in his word, fellowshipping with him through prayer, or worshiping him, maybe worst of all is when we're no longer even aware that we're wearing his crown or sitting on his throne. It just feels right for me to be in that throne, for me to be wearing the crown. I may be becoming like Adonijah. Here's an opinion statement. I think it's true, but it is definitely my opinion. You'll never have the life you want as long as you're wearing his crown. You'll never have the life you want. Now, with that, you're like, whoa, what are you saying? I'm saying the life he wants to give you is better than anything you could ask for or imagine. But you have to let him wear the crown, sit on the throne, and drive all the time. And he will give you beyond anything you have asked for or imagined. And at the end of your days, you will look back and say, bless the Lord. The life he gave me is so much better than the life I imagined for myself or wanted for myself. Why? Because he cares for you and he loves you and he has nothing but good for you. You'll never have the life you want in parentheses or that he wants you to have as long as you're wearing his crown. Where do you need to get off the throne? Where do you need to take off the crown over these next few weeks as we celebrate the coming, the incarnation of the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, whom you and I both have asked to be the throne sitter in our lives? What do we need to give back to him? Take this off, get out of the chair, give it back to him, and begin to follow again. That's what he asks us to do is to follow him.